0: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
1: Hey,
2: everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Getting a little bit of feedback, but it's a joy to be with you today. I am coming to you from WCPTA 20, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio. The Voice of Progressive Minnesota. And I want you to meet my morning stars on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Let's talk about what's happening in academia today. We're going to have Julian Malvo to talk about the uh, the resignation of the UPenn president, Liz McGill. And we're also going to have a student from UPenn who is going to be coming to us with an assumed name, such as the nature of protests. Now, people are getting canceled, doxed. Uh, But this young woman wants to share with us the atmosphere on the campus and how people feel about that. Now they're going after Claudine Gay, uh, the president of Harvard. Apparently, what these three presidents uh, said at the congressional hearing last week was not enough. And we didn't hear anything about Palestinian rights. As we're looking at anti-Semitism, all forms of hatred are bad. But what about free speech? At some point, you have to give people the space to say what it is that they want to say, what they need to say, and that's when you know how to combat it. Um, But Ms. McGill was right, that when you cross the line, when it becomes conduct, that becomes the problem. Uh, And too often, these horrible ways of thinking become conduct. But there's something going on here and it's chilling uh, the discussion because who's running the who's running the universities, donors or the university? Because really what it's come down to, the boards of trustees of these schools are up in arms because people who are giving these donations in the tens and hundreds of millions of dollars are saying, I'm going to pull my money back unless uh, you have your students behave a particular way. What do you think about that? Call me at 773-763-9278. And then let's talk about this Texas Supreme Court case uh, in which Kate Cox, um, a, a mother who is pregnant and the pregnancy continues to go. Well, it turns out the child, she has been told by doctors, will not survive. And not only, not only this, if she carries a pregnancy forward, it increases every day. Her, her, her chance of becoming infertile increase. So she was given the Faustian bargain, if you will. It's just a horrible choice. I can't even imagine. And so as this child is going inside where her, she's saying in order to save the child, who is, the doctors say there's no chance for this child to survive, and the child is suffering in utero, I must terminate the pregnancy. And there's supposed to be exceptions in Texas. And yet uh, the Supreme Court said, no, you need to carry this baby to term. Wow. What and increase her uh, her her route to infertility? Are you serious? I mean, whatever you feel. You know, my personal feelings about abortion, I don't put into the public space. That's between you and the Lord. What is going on with people? Call me at seven seven three. 763 9278 773 763 WCPT. I want to hear from you. I want you to tell me what your thoughts are. What are your thoughts about this case? Let's get to some of the headlines. Fighting in the Gaza Strip has pushed its health care system near collapse. Indeed, uh, some reports say that there are more than 17,000 Gazans who have been killed. Healthcare in Gaza is, well, they say it's on its knees. Uh, And the World World Health Organization has said that. And um, growing disease, if the bombs don't kill them, the disease will kill people. They do not have access to uh, to showers, to toilets. There's running sewage in the streets, 180,000 plus people in addition. Uh, to those who were already in southern Gaza, have been moved in. Uh, It is the largest open-air prison in the world. The Biden administration has called for Israel to protect civilians, but uh, they vetoed the U.N. resolution uh, demanding a ceasefire. And guess what? The Biden administration snuck in behind Congress's back last week more munitions to Israel. Snuck it in. You cannot make this up. Penn's president, Liz McGill, resigned over congressional testimony on anti-Semitism. Or was it free speech? She was criticized after she declined to state plainly That a call for genocide against Jews would violate the University of Pennsylvania's code of conduct. Saturday's resignation has reinvigorated the debate about free, free speech, and we will talk about that very, very shortly. At least six people were killed after tornadoes ripped through Tennessee. God bless them, everybody. The tornadoes touched down around Nashville on Saturday. Dozens were injured and thousands were left without power. The same weather system caused a significant storm on yesterday on the East Coast. Uh, We learned more about the man accused of uh, the classified files on Discord. Jack Jack Texiera, a 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guard member, was charged after allegedly sharing hundreds of documents on the popular online oral forum. And what about the young woman who tried to burn down Dr. King's birthplace? She's a Navy veteran. Uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock, the senator from the great state of Tennessee, uh, excuse me, from great state of uh, Georgia said, we are praying for her. But uh, many people who were visiting uh, Dr. King's birthplace on Sweet Auburn Avenue, in his, the home in which he was raised, uh, actually pursued her as she tried to burn the house down. They ran her down and held her until police came and overtook her. And those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. Oh, but Bobby, before I get back to you, Pastor Bobby, uh, the FDA the FDA approved two gene therapies that target sickle cell disease. This genetic illness affects black Americans, people from the Mediterranean, and this genetic illness can cause excruciating pain and cut decades off of people's lives, although the treatments have increased the lifespans of people it is fatal, and one of the therapies is the first commercially available treatment in the. US based on gene editing technology good, 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 good on them, good on them and uh, we just and make sure that you get these genetic screenings everybody when you uh, are preparing to get married or when you're preparing to have a baby because two people with uh, sickle cell trait which I do have uh, More than likely, we'll have at least one offspring who has the disease, and it is very painful. I've had several friends who have died from it, and um, that's not what you want. Pastor Bobby? How are you Good doing, morning. Pastor Robert Burton Lewis, the Joy Life Center <laughs> uh, 9401 South Oakley? Look, I'm going to get it one of these days now. You,
0: I'm going to get it. you got it. you got it. Good morning. Happy Monday. How are Happy you? Happy
2: Monday. I've never called you Robert Burton in all, in all these 50-odd years, but, you know, I'm, I'm, rolling, with <laughs>
3: I'm,
2: wrong. I'm rolling with it.
0: I'm rolling with it. Ain't nothing I'm just, wrong with it. No,
2: honey, I'm seeing you in your teeny-weeny afro back in the day.
0: All of us had one. We were trying to be the Jackson Five, all five of us, right?
2: Uh, Look, were we not? (laughs) And your brother and his band, his brother Kevin, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, it turns out advertising exec and music executive. And Kevin has passed on. Boy, I have some wonderful memories of Kevin. Kevin had a band, and it was a great band. And my birthday, my birthday one year, they came and they were going to be the house band for my birthday party. And Kevin (laughs) marched upstairs to our mothers. They're not listening to our music. We were trying to put the Jackson 5 records on, Bobby. (laughs) We looked at him, and our mothers came downstairs. You must listen to them, and you dance to their music. They're such talented. Oh, girl, we were hot with them, but that's all right. (laughs) Oh, we were hot with them.
0: always passionate. He was always passionate about his music. Always passionate about his music.
2: And, you know, and he's one of the pioneers of reality TV. Many people don't know that. Um, Indeed, he is the pioneer of reality television. This was something more than about 40 years ago when he was working for Burrell. In fact, this was part of his test package for Burrell. He came up with the idea of reality TV, reality commercials, bringing real people into the space. So uh, he's a yeah. quite the pioneer, and um, he is he that, will always, always, always live on, right?
0: That and and um, he was the first ad exec to bring hip hop into commercials too. He brought uh, Run DMC.
2: That's right. That's right. Run that's DMC right.
0: And, and into hip hop, I mean, into commercials. Yep, yeah. mainstream commercials.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Kevin, yes, he was yes. Kevin with a Y. Mm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, have some great, great times uh, with uh, Pastor Lewis. At 12 o'clock yeah. on Sundays, people can come to 94th and Oakley to the Joy Life Center. So after you've been out all yeah. night long on Friday, you can go That's right. with this great congregation. And, you know, some of the urban nights will be there, so the music is top notch. You don't want to miss that. But, you know, what? Uh-oh. I need some good news today. A lot of people, ha- um, this is a tough season for a lot of people. It's a joyous season, but it's a yeah. tough season. But, you know, you always have something really positive to
0: say. Uh, Well, you know, I'm reminding everybody today, Santita, that uh, we walk this far by faith. I want you to know that faith isn't passive. And Mm -hmm. what we have to do is it is active, it's vibrant, and it's powerful. This, This past Sunday was the second Sunday of Advent. And it was all about our rededication to faith. Faith is about breaking free from the chains of societal norms, stepping out from the crowd, and boldly asking for what we need and desire. First, we're called to break free. This means liberating ourselves from the limitations and expectations placed on us by society, our past experience, and even our own self-doubt. Sometimes that gets in the way of our faith. It's about shedding the layers of conformity and embracing the unique path that God has set for each and every one of us. Secondly, we're charged to step out. This is about moving beyond our comfort zones, stepping away from the crowd and the pressures of conformity. It's about walking in faith, uh, trusting in the path that God has laid out for us, even when it's not visible for those around us to see, you know, because sometimes that uh, God has just given something for us to see, uh, and everyone around us can't see it. And so we, we can't depend on them. We've got to move with what God has given us and charged us to do. And lastly, we are charged, we are urged to ask boldly. This is about approaching God with confidence and faith, asking for our heart's desire for guidance, for strength, and for the fulfillment of God's promises on our lives. It's about believing in the power of prayer and the assurance that God hears and responds to our calls. Listen, today, let this message sink deeply into our hearts. Whatever you're facing, know that you have the strength to break free from that chain, to step out in faith, And to ask boldly for what you need. Your faith, your faith has the power to transform your life and the world around you. So today, today, I'm just asking you to just hold on to these three things. Break free, step out, and ask boldly. Let this be your guide, your inspiration, your call to action May your faith be as vibrant and as active as it is powerful and transformative. Today, I just want to say, may your day be blessed with courage, hope, and unwavering faith that will move you into your next blessing. This is, I I tell you, Santita.
2: (laughs) I needed that. No, I really did. I needed that today. I did. More than I can say.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. God gives us all what we need right at the right time. So I am just so happy that uh, I could pour into you because Lord knows you've poured into me.
2: <laughs> well, that's what big sisters are for. Now there you have yes, it. Yes, they are. That's right.
0: Yes, they are. It's taken a few I, years,
2: everybody, but he finally listens to me. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: You got to have faith, Sandy. You got to have faith. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh Yeah, that's it.
0: (laughs) Oh, you sound just like Doug. You sound just like I should.
2: We've been looking at you all like a long time, like, okay.
0: But, you know,
2: but is there, do you have just, how can we worship with you on Sunday and throughout the week?
0: Hey, consider this the formal or informal invitation, however you want to jot it down. But I'm, I'm inviting everyone to come out and join us on Sunday mornings, 9401 South Oakley, uh, or Sunday afternoon, actually. It's 12 noon Uh 9401 south of Oakley in the Beverly area in Chicago. And that's right. Santita said earlier, it doesn't matter what you did the night before. There's more than enough time for you to get whatever sleep that you need and come on and worship with us. That's going to be a wonderful time each and every Sunday. Uh, And then also during the week, you can connect with us online. Uh, Tuesday, we have a, a Bible study at 12 noon. On um, on Facebook and, and uh, YouTube. Also, we have a Wednesday night Bible study, and you can join that uh, on Zoom. But you have to email us for the link. So that the email is Joy Life MBR at Gmail dot com, and we'll send a link right out to you so you can join us on, on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock uh, for Bible study. And then also on Thursday, we have a prayer. a prayer service on Thursdays at noon as well. And that is on Facebook and YouTube. So there's plenty of places where you can come and connect to Joy Life Center. Uh, We'd love to see you virtually, and we'd love to see you you in person. Come out and connect with us, 9401 South Oakley in Chicago, in the Beverly area, on Sundays at noon.
2: All right, all right, all right. I love it, I love it, I love it. Pastor Robert Burton-Lewis. Joy Life Center, ninety fourth and Oakley. Hey, get on over there, everybody! I love the fact that it's uh, it's at twelve o'clock on Sunday, so you know you can you can get up and and then and, and go. I mean, it's making an adjustment to how people actually live. Absolutely, we have got Doctor Shanina Knighton with us today, Doctor uh, the, uh, Pastor uh, Pastor Lewis, and she's going to be staying. Well, she's going to be coming back as we talk about this um, this Texas issue. But what's on your mind today in this? holland in this holy season in which we all need so much information on infection prevention.
4: Yes, Antita, so good morning. Well, for one, just reminding people that we definitely want to make sure that um, in the season of fellowship, in the season of love, making sure that we honestly stay free from the germs of others as they can be sickly. And we have, like, again, as I mentioned before, multiple viruses amongst us um, because it is that type of season. And as a result of it being that season, it's a reminder that, yes, while we want to be more indoors, places with poor ventilation, places where it's going to be crowded and there's no fresh air circulating in the room, increases the risk of others becoming ill. It does, unfortunately, just take a cough or a sneeze in order for someone to be at risk for getting ill. I oftentimes run into people and they say, oh, I don't understand. Like, you know, I was extra careful while I was traveling, and I'm not sure where and why I got sick. Well, I'll tell you just really quick, even me being at the airport, okay, I saw, a, well, for one, the worker had on gloves, and as you can imagine, I continue to remind our audience for education purposes that gloves are not your hands, and in fact, they do not provide a protective barrier like your hands do against germs. So what will occur as a result of that is, is you'll end up having an accumulation of dirt and germs that build up on the gloves. that then, if you touch your face or touch your belongings, you're now transferring that bio or or slash buildup of germs directly to your face or to your belongings. And so as a result of that, They were touching cards, touching everything, and she literally grabbed a napkin and blew her nose and stuck it right back in her pocket and proceeded to, again, touch cards. I remind people, it's not necessarily all the time about what it is that you're doing. It's also being aware of what others are doing that is around you. It's being aware what are they touching before they interact with you. Um, Are they touching their nose? Did they, you know, people unfortunately are still licking the grocery store bags just to get you a bag. So it's just being aware of what's happening around you to know that all it takes is just that one time of coming in contact with someone's sneeze droplets, someone cough droplets, someone um, being unwell and being in contact with you, and that being, unfortunately, the emphasis to get you sick. Um, we, unfortunately are starting to get back to a place to where we're normalizing being ill again. But as I continue to emphasize, we should normalize not being ill. I spoke to many people during the prime of COVID who said, this is the least sick that I've been. Now, again, there have been people that have been sick, so it's not minimizing them. But people that made sure that they stuck with their infection prevention and control practices said that they went a significant duration of time without being ill because they were practicing things in addition to, let's say, other measures that were um, in place. So before we had vaccines, we still had hand hygiene, we still were screening people for coming into our homes, we still were masking, and we were still making sure that we were vigilant about where we were and if we were doing something to increase our risk.
2: Everybody, get back on it. Get back on it. Let's normalize wellness, not sickness. Oh, call us at 773 763 9278 Many people are saying that what happened at UPenn was a horrifying decision, a horrifying precedent. Uh, the UPenn president resigned. mm uh, we're going to have Dr. Shanina Knighton back as we talk about what's happening in Texas. Kate Cox is risking infertility and maybe even her own life um, because the Texas State Supreme Court will not allow her to terminate a pregnancy of, a, of her child who is gravely ill. This child has a fatal, fatal illness, and the longer she carries the pregnancy, the less likely, less likely she is to be able to carry another pregnancy. It's just... Horrific. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. We can change the world, change the
1: world, change the world. Oh, yes, we, can. we can change the world, we can change the world, change the world.
0: This is the Santita Jackson, Jackson the Show. War and hate
1: to a place of love, it's not too oh. late. Gotta save the children.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Happy Hanukkah to our Jewish brothers and sisters. Can you believe we're in the midst of this beautiful, beautiful holy season with so much going on in the world? Happy Hanukkah to our Jewish brothers and sisters. Hanukkah, the festival of lights, everybody. And our Muslim brothers and sisters having come through the season of Eid, and of course we are in Advent in the Christian calendar, two of our highest holy days, uh, Christmas and Easter. And this is um, this is the season, Advent. Sending everyone so much love, whether you are in or out of faith. We are all one family, everybody. I love you so much today. I'm Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and talk radio, the voice of Progressive Minnesota. And uh, we have got... Uh, We've got a story that we, I think we need to visit. Well, of course, we'll revisit it over and over and over again. This is probably the headline for me that is most apt. I saw it on the cover of Common Dreams, a horrifying precedent, Penn, UPenn president, one of the Ivies, Liz McGill, resigned amid right-wing campus speech uproar. Uh, One critic said she was coerced into resigning for defending her students' right to political free speech. Professors at UPenn. Were joined by rights advocates in condemning the attacks that forced the university president Liz McGill to resign days after she testified before the U.S. Congress. Now, mind you, uh, one of the donors, a one hundred million dollar donor to the university, uh, said, "I'm not going to give you any money. I'm done. I'm done." So that pushed. Uh, that helped to push this decision and. A donor redirected $50 million away from UPenn to the University of Chicago. They said, we're done with you. We're done with you, which means that the university president had to go. But What did she say, and what kind of signal does this send about free speech, and what students are allowed to say? Not just do, but say. And uh, when I was in college, you know, Certainly our president had views that were different politically from us. Uh, Valerie, who is a UPenn medical student, and she's giving she's operating under a pseudonym because such is the nature of protest today. Uh, she could really she could get canceled. You know, we don't know if she'd be able to get a match. In medical school or, you know, I mean, these pe- people are really going after folks and shutting down their career opportunities. And, of course, the president emeritus of Bennett College of Women, Dr. Julian Malveaux, brilliant economist. Uh, Dr. Malveaux, before we go to Valerie, who's at UPenn and she can tell us about what's happening on that campus. Look, they said it's a horrifying precedent. What happened here? Because, you know, your job, you as as a university president and even as the dean at one of the leading universities like you, you've got to raise the money. So what happened here? Well, the president has
5: three roles, but the one that is most emphasized, unfortunately, is fundraising. It's fundraising, leadership and planning. Those are the three things that you're judged on as a president. Um, I think that Liz McGill actually, her congressional testimony was very awkward. I think she should have let out by saying we condemn the attacks, you know, the Hamas attack on Israel. I think that that's the statement that everybody has to say, because we all do. Um, and I wish she had wallowed into the context waters so much because then it sounds like she's equivocating. What she really wasn't. What she was doing was defending the free speech rights of her Palestinian students, who also have the right to free speech. Um, She began to get ire when she had a Palestinian writers conference on campus. She didn't do it. Presidents don't do that. Someone came to the provost and said, we want to do this. And the provost greenlit it. The provost tells the president, this is what we're going to do. I'm sure the provost weighed all the pros and cons of this Palestinian Writers Conference. You know, what I know as a president, you can't go to every event on campus. You're not condoning every event on campus. You're simply saying, this is something, you know, we want to have. But we had a similar situation uh, at Cal State L.A. where there was a conference and two young young girls said, Tina, you know, they were 20 and 21 – Young Palestinians, um, we got splashback. Of course, our president at the time, Bill Covino, he told me, don't worry about it. There was a splashback that she was, they were anti-Semitic. No, they were Palestinians, and they were talking about their country. But i blessedly, you know, it didn't, it didn't bubble to the surface. But as you know, leadership doesn't go to everything, and they can't. I think that she was coerced because of the money. I think this super powerful donor, the $100 million, on the line. I think that people looked around and said, can we afford to lose $100 million? But I would say that yes, you can if, if a university is about vision, leadership, and fundraising. But vision, what's the vision? Do we want free speech? You know, the, the word anti-Semitic is thrown around all too long. If you're anti-Israel, not just anti-Israel, if you're critical of Israel, suddenly you're anti-Semitic. I've lost two close Jewish friends over this issue. And, hey, go with God, y'all. Um, but they were very close. They were people that we celebrated holidays with. I had seder with them. But the, the fact that I said that Israel was killing people, they said that was anti-Semitic. Oh, well. Uh, but back to uh, Liz McGill. She was doing a great job, but I'll have to let Valerie Uh, From the outside, she was doing a great job. I have to let Valerie speak to that from her own experience. But what I would say, uh, let me tell you what, I would not have resigned. They would have had to fire me, and then I would have had to sue them. But I would not have been resigning over this. Now, again, as I say, I think she was clunky. I wish that she had expressed herself better with Congress. She knew that there was a hostile Congress, that uh, Virginia Fox of North Carolina, Republican from North Carolina, who heads the Uh, Education, welfare, the the health committee. Um, She she was awful, but she'd also said, "I want them to atone." What would they to atone for? For giving students and others voice. So again, I I I agree with the Common Dreams uh, article. It is a horrifying precedent that makes college presidents less free. To speak, I mean, there are major moral issues where we are often called upon to speak from the um, basically from the pivot of our presidency, and so to, to silence a president is to silence the entire student body who doesn 't agree with others in the student body you can 't that's that's i 'll leave it there because I really do want to hear what Valerie has to
2: say Valerie, what do you have to say what What is the on campus and how did how was pre- former President McGill's, how were her comments received? Did you all feel defended? Were you offended? And of course you are from If Not Now this brilliant uh, aggregation of young Jewish activists who, uh, and what does If Not Now stand for before you get into all of this?
6: Yeah, I think uh, the name If Not Now comes from sort of the saying of, of If Not Now Then When um, and it's sort of speaking to the fact that For the past 78 years, Palestinians have been oppressed and killed and consistently bombed, and their rights have been systematically denied, not only by Israel, but by everybody on the world stage, um, in particular led by the United States, who just vetoed the UN Security Resolution, which was supported by essentially the rest of the world, um, calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, I think Ms. McGill, unfortunately, in her two years of, of of tenure hadn't built up much, built up much goodwill among um, the people who are at the, Uni- the University of Pennsylvania. In, in contrast to Dr. Claudine Gay at Harvard, who, even though she only has five months as university president, she—I um, think it was just yesterday—that three hundred professors signed a statement in support of her, in support of her testimony, <laughs> You know, I watched the whole uh, three, four hours of that congressional testimony. And I think that Ms. McGill and Dr. Gay are actually saying a lot of the same things. And a lot of the the negative backlash came from the line of questioning from Ms. Stefanik, a Republican out of New York, um, who had a coalition of people who ended up feeding their extra time to her so she could continue her very aggressive line of questioning on the public stage. Um, and I think Ms. Hassanik's principal error in her argument is that she um, received the word intifada as calling for the killing of all Jews. So I went and spoke with a Muslim, Arabic-speaking friend of mine, and I was like, what does intifada actually
2: mean? And she gave me this And It means
6: resistance movement. Okay, a resistance
2: hold, on. movement. hold on, Valerie, we're, not, um, we're, we're losing you. We want to get you in a good place so that we can hear everything that you're saying. Can okay. you hear me now? It's a little bit better.
6: Uh, let's get yeah. you... Just one moment. I think okay. I'm on the wrong Wi-Fi network here in my home. Is that better? Uh, that is. That is. Amazing.
2: Yes. Right. Yes. You, you asked us... you ask your, your fellow classmate, uh, your fellow Well UPenn student, what does intifada mean? So we can pick up from there. To be clear, she's not a, a Penn
6: classmate. She's oh, a classmate she's from great. previous, from previous um, education that I've had. But she's Muslim and she speaks Arabic. And she told me that intifada means resistance movement, and, the, and this is a resistance movement, especially in the context of resistance against oppression. It is not, it's not calling for the genocide of Jews. It is not even calling for the extinction of Israel. It is saying we are being oppressed and we need to resist, which is factually correct it's based off of the Palestinian, Palestinian experience of almost the last century. And so Ms. Miss, Miss Stefanik had a line of questioning that she directed primarily at the UPenn and Harvard presidents saying if students are calling for the genocide of Jews, does that uh, constitute harassment under your policies and can that student be disciplined? And both of the university presidents said, well, we protect their right to free speech and if that, state, if such statements lead into action, then that action can be considered harassment and it can be disciplined. However, she's wrong in her fundamental argument that Intifada is calling for the genocide of Jews.
2: So, so what was the reaction on campus? Did the people feel that her testimony was awkward? Did they feel that this was the death knell to her presidency? What happened? I do feel that people um, felt that her testimony was quite awkward. When you looked at her
6: and her answers, she kind of gave all of her answers in a little bit of this like sheepish way of, I don't really want to be here and I I don't really know what to say. Uh, In contrast to Dr. Claudine Gay, who gave all of her answers in a very confident way um, and was very clear that um, Harvard in particular has no policies that infringe upon the free speech of students. Um, Ms. Liz McGill, she frequently deferred to, Saying that the UPenn's policies are based on the United States Constitution and protecting free speech in that way. Um, and I think that, you know, some people on campus feel that she could have defended those policies without um, sort of kowtowing to a higher power or the United States Constitution.
2: So, what's the path forward? I mean, what role? Who runs the university? Is it the donors or is it the university? What? Who's in charge here? I mean,
6: I think um, for for the other person's comments here, I think very much it's feeling like the donors run the university. Um, on Saturday, I received an email saying that they have. Um, elected or appointed an interim president. Uh, This interim president, I have not looked into her background, um, but she seems, uh, it was stated that she is of Jewish heritage. And to me, that means that she's probably going to take more of like a Zionist stance on campus. And I think that makes a lot of Palestinian students on campus feel very scared about their right to education and also their right to assert uh, the need for freedom for Palestinian people.
2: So how does that make you feel? I mean, given given the fact that you are this uh, a student, young Jewish activist, but you also you're fighting for justice for Palestinians, and, and you're fighting for protection for I mean, you're fighting for justice and and protection for everybody. How does it make right. you? Right. It makes me personally feel
6: quite scared. Um, I was very active on campus. Um, back in 2020, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, um, advocating on campus for different policies and changes to help protect black and brown students at the university, med school in particular. And I saw during that time that people who advocate for justice are seen as troublemakers and are seen as potential and, and, and are targeted, um, not only directly targeted, but also um, indirectly targeted by not supporting them and by threatening them. Um, I mean, at one point we had asked for compensation for the significant amount of time and effort that we were putting into making the university a safer place for black and brown students. And we were told, oh, but if we compensate you, then you guys will not be eligible for any um Prizes or awards upon graduation. I feel like that was a very subversive way of like deflecting the question.
2: So, when you say that this makes you fearful, why does this make you fearful? What do you foresee? I mean, I foresee that even though I'm Jewish, being
6: slandered um, as an anti Semite. And having that put out about me in the public stage, which could impact my um, options for residency match, which is really the only way to continue in the medical education. And I feel as if I will no longer be able to stand up on campus for justice and stand up for what is right uh, for fear of my future career
2: prospects, my public reputation. Thus, the pseudonym today. Are yes, exactly. You, well, you know, and I think it really does go to Dr. Malveaux. Um, None of us are free until all of us are free. I mean, yes. Natalie, would you not agree with that? You, you know, Santina,
5: I'm almost speechless. I, I have such sympathy for Liz because, yeah, no, No, none of us are free until all of us are free. And all of us have the right to our voice. We cannot suppress voices because people are saying things that others disagree with. We've seen this happen to African-American students and others. Um, and I wonder, you know, I go back to my undergrad days, um, class of 74, Boston College, when I had a sign on my dormitory uh, wall that said, "Off, uh, you know, off the pig. Yeah. I mean, is that considered wow. a threat? I mean, I had a big old, um, you know, magic mark of big old letters, off the pig. Um So somebody could say that was a threat. I mean, the whole notion of threat, again, to use the word, it has to be contextualized. If a bunch of people are shouting off the pig or intifada, which means resistance. Thank you, Valerie. I knew that, and I just didn't raise it, so I'm very glad that you did. But if people are shouting intifada, they're saying that's a threat. It's not a threat. It's a resistance. And so you can interpret stuff the way you want to interpret it. And a combination of, of Fox and Stefanik, the, the the woman who was— she was really rude and condescending to those presidents. And I applaud them all for maintaining their uh, composure, although I do think that Claudine Gay did the best, of course. And I think Liz McGill did the worst. I mean, I, I, but, you know, her her uh, one of her supporters said—
2: She was over-lawyered, and you can see that in this litigious age. I felt that she was lawyered up because she was so careful that she did not, because she didn't want the university to be sued. She didn't want students to be sued or put off campus because this atmosphere to me is so poisonous that these students could lose their place at the university. They could get expelled. (laughs) For exactly. And, that, and that, that's
5: absurd. And, and then when we think about who students are, without talking down to them or anything, well, I used to tell my Bennett girls, I will not let your half brain make my whole brain go crazy. Well, what do I mean by that? Folks under 25 do not have their frontal lobe fully developed. And I'm not talking down to folks, I'm no. just saying. And so, you know, they, what do young people do? They protest. They resist authority. They're angry. They want it that way, and they want it that way now. That's why the grown-ups in the room, while agreeing with them sometimes, have to say, you know, maybe we need to dial that back a little bit. But there's nothing to be dialed back in Palestinian resistance. With 15,000 people dead at least, 15,000 yes. people dead, and, 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 you know, Peter Beinart, who is— uh, A former colleague, when I was doing CNN, and I think he's editor of one of the uh, Jewish magazines, he's talked about how this whole thing about college presidents deflects from what's happening in Gaza. That's the more important issue, is how all these people are being starved to death. How the IDF keeps sending people conflicting messages. Go north, go south, go north, go south. And in the middle of that, you know... They go to the refugee camp only to have them bomb the refugee camp. So somebody has to say that, and that's not anti-Semitism.
2: No, it's not. I mean, not to mention the fact that uh, the Biden administration did an end run around Congress, and they sent more munitions to Israel. Which is ridiculous. It's just just a mess. But you've got Dr. Rowan Stevens, and I'm going to— uh, Ross Stevens, excuse me, and I'm going to give this to you, Mallory, before we go, uh, from Stone Ridge Asset Management. She gave uh, he gave one hundred million dollars to Booth at the University of Chicago, their business school. Now, he would not publicly publicly discuss this one hundred million dollars that he gave, but he pushes back not only on uh, on. Uh, you know, just really saying, you know, I'm defending, I'm, I'm defending the Jewish community. He also has a problem with DEI, mm-hmm. diversity, equity and inclusion. And to me, I mean, when it, it goes to Valerie, your point about being fearful, because these these forces are way on the right, not in the correct, but on the right, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're they're against moving society forward. The last minute belongs to you, Valerie. Yeah, I, I
6: really want to echo the other um, commentators, and I also just want to put that into context. And so, I recently saw a really great post that um, puts the numbers in Gaza in perspective, as if it were the American population. And so, I'll just share a very small part of that. So, if you adjust the population, Israel's attack on Gaza would mean two million four hundred and four thousand one hundred and sixty Americans killed, which is equivalent to murdering every single person in Las Vegas. Boston, Detroit, Seattle, and Atlanta in just 55 days, and Mm -hmm. almost half of those are children. And so the scope of what we're seeing is really unprecedented, and I think in history it's going to go down as a
2: second holocaust. Um, Can you give us us those numbers numbers before, before you go? Wow!
6: Absolutely. So, if you adjust for population, Israel's attack on Gaza would mean two million four hundred four thousand one hundred sixty-eight Americans killed, which is equivalent to murdering every single person in Las Vegas, while Detroit, Seattle, and Atlanta in just fifty-five days, and almost half of those are children. Can I speak? Yeah, I'm, I'm speechless, too. I don't even want to follow up on that. That it's You've got purport- to send that to me, Valerie. I can send that to, to you. After. To me. Cause, yes, because it everything. And it's also important to know that Israel is perfectly capable of, of performing what they call surgical strikes. And so I've seen a photo of a building where just one apartment was blown out because they knew that one of the leaders of Hamas and his family lived there. And so the entire building is still standing. No one else in the building was harmed, but just this one apartment was completely blown out. So they are capable of performing specific strikes to target people, and they are choosing to carpet bomb and kill millions, hundreds of thousands of people.
2: Valerie, you be well, and you get on out of that medical school because I need doctors. I need a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I need a physician. Thank you very much. And you know, such a Take care of yourself. Take care of Thank yourself. You. Know that you know that you have a home here, Dr. Julian Malo. Uh-huh. This is a whole lot, and like they said, it was. It's a horrifying precedent. And what are you going to be talking about on your show to do show today? Very quickly, and where can we find it?
5: I'm on WPFW FM, to live to listen live um, at nine a.m. Eastern, eight a.m. your time. I don't want to mess with your time, but. Those- <laughs> Tune in for the last little few minutes. Um, we're going to talk about the economy. We have all these signals. In it. So, um, want to talk about that? 1 800 um 893 if you want to call in, because I'm going to be asking my listeners, uh, how is this economy doing for you? What we have, I think, is macroeconomic uh, stability, but microeconomic angst. People are worried. People can't buy what they need to buy. Interest rates, even though they're coming down, it's still too high. If you were trying to buy a home a year ago or two years ago, your monthly payment is hundreds more than it was when you first started looking into it. Which means you probably have now can afford less house, less condo. So we're going to be talking about that, Santita. And I want to thank Valerie. It's I love I got, you. Bring her seconds. voice on. I got to hurry up and love get out. Love you. Bring her I'll voice on. I'll
2: Important Absolutely. young voice. That's all I have. Have a good one. No, no, no. That's a whole lot, and um, and it's and she has to use a pseudonym. Everybody, that's where we are in America today. Let's talk about what's happening in Texas. This woman is being forced to carry a child to term. It could render her huh. infertile. It might even kill her. And the child is supposed to die at birth—a horrific death. Back with more of the Santita Jackson show in just a minute.
0: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
2: Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Santita Jackson Show. Call me at 773-763-9278. 773-763-WCPT. Let's talk about what's happening in Texas. What's happening in Texas. Turns out Kate Cox... Got a got really sad news, excited about her pregnancy. She found out that the child is gravely ill, is expected to die, if not in utero, at birth. The longer she carries her pregnancy, the greater her risk of being infertile. She wants to have a child. She wouldn't be able to have a child, the doctors say. Uh, the likelihood decreases greatly if she carries this child to terms. So she was advised by medical personnel to... Terminate the pregnancy, but they won't allow her to do it. So uh, the, the Texas State Supreme Court, now they're supposed to allow exceptions. Now we're seeing just what they're not allowing everybody. Let's get some of these headlines out the way. A war for oil fears grow as the U.S. holds military drills in Guyana amid a dispute with Venezuela, Brazilian President Luis uh, de Silva offered to help forge a diplomatic solution, said, if there is one thing we don't want here in South America, it's war. And certainly it is not our oil up underneath the feet of South American people, everybody. The Biden administration bypassed Congress to rush tank shells to Israel. Hours after, you, after the U.S. Ambassador Robert Wood on Friday acted alone to veto a U.N. security resolution demanding an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. The Biden administration again illustrated, according to this Common Dreams report, its growing isolation and continuing to back Israel's onslaught as it bypassed the U.S. Congress to send more weapons to the country's extreme right-wing government. The U.S. Department Defense Department... Uh, Posted a notice on Saturday saying that U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, had informed Congress that the government sale of 13,000 rounds of tank ammunition was moving forward, even though Congress had not completed an informal review of the TransAction, everybody. Uh, call us at 773-763-9278. Fighting in Gaza has pushed its health care system, according to the World Health Organization, to near collapse. According to some reports, at least 17,000 Palestinians have been killed thus far. Uh, Penn's president resigned over her congressional testimony on anti-Semitism. Liz McGill was criticized after she uh, declined to state plainly That a call for genocide against Jews would violate the University of Pennsylvania's code of conduct. Indeed, uh, people are saying that this was a horrifying precedent, uh, that uh, we're wondering now who controls the school, the donors or the university? At least six people were killed after tornadoes ripped through Tennessee. And we learned more about the men accused of leaking classified files on Discord. Jack Texiera, a 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guard member, was charged after allegedly sharing hundreds of documents on the popular online chat platform. A post-investigation shows how he allegedly used his privileged access to this to obtain classified files, and he just shared them. Wow, everybody. Uh, and the FDA has approved two gene therapies that target sickle cell disease. Good on them. I want you to call me at 773-773. 7639278773763wcpt let's talk about this Texas case everybody in Chicago will have a high of 37 degrees partly sunny and in Minneapolis St Paul the same 37 degrees in the NFL the Vikings three the Raiders nothing they were shut out the Bears 28 the Lions 13. In the NBA, the Bulls will be playing the Bucks tonight, and the Timberwolves will be playing the Pelicans. In the NHL, the Capitals 4, Chicago 2, the Wild 3, the Kraken, nothing. Uh, you know what? It is that time of year. We, are our brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith, are in the midst of their Hanukkah Festival of Lights. Our brothers and sisters in the Islamic faith have been coming through the season of Eid, and we are in Advent in the Christian calendar as we move toward one of our two highest holidays, of course, Easter in the spring and in the winter, the birth of Christ, the Mass of Christ. Uh, and this can be a tough season for a lot of people. A lot of people, we see suicides go up. We see people who feel joyous, but we see people who feel a lot of pain, a lot of pain. They think about their losses, and sometimes they make uh, permanent decisions about a temporary feeling. And so uh, I wanted to bring this woman back before us because she's doing something about the pain. She's not nursing the pain. She's nursing the power and the possibilities that came from her gift, her son, Gabriel, the angel. Uh, who had started a toy drive before he made his transition. And I want you to get out and support it, please, everybody. Uh, They're giving away not just toys, but clothing. They're giving away food at 8540 South Racine. And I wanted to bring this beautiful woman, this beautiful, beautiful woman of God, Denise Parker, with us. Gabriel's Toy Giveaway. It's on Sunday, is it not, Denise? the 17th. Oh, it's on the 17th? Yes. Very quickly, tell us about this toy giveaway. Uh, It started why? Okay. It started, um, my son started
3: in 2019. He was, um, it was on Thanksgiving. It was, um, we was about to eat and he was asking um, me and his siblings like, I want to ask y'all something. And then we was like, okay. So he was like, okay, I want to start a toy drive. And I want to know, can y'all, like, donate toys to the the toy drive? And we was like, okay. He's like, I'm starting it. And then I was like, okay. So he did it for, like, um, women and children, like women battering children. So he went up north and did it up there. So my son Gabriel, he died, um, in two thousand and twenty of March. So, um, he had a seizure in his sleep. Mm-hmm. And um, Gabriel he was he was a good he was a good child, a good son and brother and uncle. And um and I called him my miracle baby because um in 2000 um, I had a car accident and um I was nine months pregnant. It was the day of my baby shower, and um, the engine came in on my stomach, so it smashed all the organs in my baby. So he didn't he didn't make it. And then I was in a coma and then I had to learn how to and all that. And um uh, they told me that um I couldn't have more kids. So I wound up getting pregnant again with uh, um my daughter Patricia. Like half four months later I wound up getting pregnant again with her and I lost her um in in March, mm. uh, I I lost her in March. So they was like, okay, Miss Parker, you know, you have to get your body a rest and all that, you know. And they was just like, I said, yeah, I told me I couldn't get pregnant no more, or whatever. And then they was like, yeah, you know. So I wound up um, getting pregnant again. And they couldn't believe it. I got one I didn't pregnant with Gabriel. And um I went in, they was like, Well, I don't know if he's gonna he gonna last for nine months through your pregnancy because from the injury from the car accident or whatever. So they wind up throwing me so I can hold him. But anyway, I didn't he comes at six and a half months of my pregnancy um, on my birthday, my birthday the 17th of January, and he was born on the 19th. So, anyway, the doctor was like coming in, like taking ultrasounds, like he's gonna wear one pound, some ounces, he's gonna have, you know, little problems or whatever and all that. So, anyway, I had him, so he wound up coming out four pounds, three ounces. Nothing wrong with him. Lungs are strong. Everything. So He's a, he, big, was a,
2: he was a miracle baby.
3: Yeah. And so just, me and his big wind oh. up. That's one in the Bible. Picture, mm-hmm. Picking our names. Put four names in the Bible. And then we picked the name out and we picked out Gabriel. And that's how we got Gabriel birthed. And that's why I called him my miracle and my angel. And, And you know, mm -hmm. and
2: although he's made his transition, what you've decided to do is fight through your pain and have this toy drive. And I want people to be supportive because they can drop off food. They can drop off clothes, unworn clothes, everybody, uh, unworn underwear and things like that at 8540 South Racine, Uh, because on the 17th, they will be giving away what you need. Until they run out. 8540 South Racine. Is there a number that we can call, Denise?
3: Yes. Y'all can call me at 312 888
2: And give us that number again.
3: 312 888
2: I want to have you come back on to talk about um how you decided to turn this pain into power i mean just really because no one would ever blame you ever blame you for just for the for the pain that you that that you obviously feel at losing a child and for really having to nurse that but you said no i want to do something else and um and he is truly an angel everybody december 17th please until up until that date, go to 8540 South Racine. Drop off whatever you can. If it's money, drop it off. It's going to bless somebody. If it's food, if it's clothing, it's for these children. And they give if you walk in there and you need a coat for your child, you get that and some toys. If you need some food, they give you that too. So please, everybody, this is a worthwhile, worthwhile um event and I want you to call them at three one two eight 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 five one two eight three one two eight 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 five one two eight Denise Parker everybody sending you so much love talk to you in the morning Denise Okay see you in the morning <laughs> in the morning be- in the morning love you girl love you uh-huh. love you love you wow okay and we and we make that pivot here to um I have a new sponsor, everybody. You know, I always love working with people who are who are really, really seeking to help others. And, you know, oftentimes it can be a lot of people want to do some good. And I think Credo Mobile is one of these people. They're one of these companies that wants to do that. They are coming on to WCPT as our newest sponsor. And we could not imagine being more aligned with a partner than with Credo Mobile. They're socially conscious. They're a socially conscious mobile phone company. And I want you to call them at 877-346-0516. 877-346-0516. Let me tell you, you might as well do business with someone who wants to do business for you. They've donated over $95 million to progressive nonprofits working for a better world. With Credo, you get great coverage, the latest phones and plans you get from the big guys. But with Credo Mobile, C R E D O, your money supports what you support, what's better for all people and the planet. CredoMobile.com C R E D O M O B I L E D, I mean, excuse dot com, CredoMobile.com. Call them at 877 346 0516. It is so important to support businesses that support you. It is so important to support businesses that support you, and Credo Mobile is just such a business. Call them at 877-346-0516. They have given $95 million to progressive nonprofits, and your business makes that possible. Everybody, Credo Mobile. And um, we're going to be talking about this case in Texas. You know, we have got Anastasia Sinat, brilliant attorney from the Haitian American Lawyers Association, the chair of the Transformative Justice Coalition, attorney Daryl Jones. We've got Alabama state senator. She is congressional candidate. Marika Coleman from Alabama. And attorney Terry O'Neill, civil rights lawyer and former national president of the National Organization of Women. Terry O'Neill, can you give us an overview of this case? Yeah. Good morning,
7: Santita. The, the, this case is really um, heartbreaking. Uh, this is a woman who um, has two children, um, got pregnant again, was thrilled. Uh, the pregnancy has gone terribly wrong. Uh, the fetus has a number of um, abnormalities, including a condition that that means that there will not be a birth. If there, if, if there just is not going to be a child who will be born and will be able to survive. In the meantime, the pregnant woman, um, her health is deteriorating. She her, her first two children were delivered by cesarean section. And because this pregnancy has gone so disastrously wrong, if she waits to terminate the pregnancy, the longer she waits, the higher her risk that um, she will have she will experience a ruptured uterus because of this uh, pregnancy and not being able to have any children in the future. So Texas uh has a forced birth law that forces women into birth no matter what their condition, with exceptions, supposedly, uh, to save the uh life or health of the pregnant person. Um she realized this law a judge in Texas uh, issued a ruling that she could have the abortion, that her doctors and her health care providers could not be pursued um, by Texas under this forced birth law. And the Supreme Court has put that judge's ruling on hold while it considers whether they think that she is sick enough and damaged enough by a disastrous pregnancy. To be able to terminate uh, the they, they the Supreme Court wants to apparently wants to bring her to the brink of death uh, before allowing her to access the health care that she needs. This is a kind of Russian roulette uh, with women's lives that has been played elsewhere in in, in Ireland. A very famous case, a number of years ago, of uh, before Ireland changed its abortion laws. A woman was very, very ill from a disaster pregnancy, and the courts ruled that she was not close enough to death um, uh, to, to be able to use one of the so-called exceptions to this law, and in fact, a woman did die. So my concern, to tell you the truth right now, is much less with what the courts are going to do, and it's much more with how can this woman uh, escape uh, the, the, the state of Texas and get the health care she needs immediately because these two children that she has need their mother and, uh, and her husband, you know, needs his partner. So, uh, so it's, it's a real disaster and um, Ken Paxton is leading the way. He's very proud of himself for forcing this woman to, uh, to endure um, a, a total absence of health care she needs. It's terrible.
2: Well, uh, attorney, uh, well, no, let me, well, you are an attorney and a state senator and a congressional candidate. State Senator Marika Coleman out, out of Alabama. Yes. In a couple of minutes, what do you make of this case? I thought there were exceptions. Yeah.
8: Yeah, so you're so very sad, number one, when you look at the human aspect of what Miss Cox is personally going through. But it is also the prime example of. Why the federal government, why the U.S. Congress, and I'm going to be partisan right now, why we've got to keep the House, keep, keep the Senate and flip the House so we actually can deal with a piece of federal legislation that will protect women's access to abortion. So Texas, just like Alabama on the state level, don't have exceptions. Um, in Alabama, our trigger law, because a lot of these Republicans have these um, um passing pieces of legislation in the anticipation under the Trump administration that the Supreme court was going to change or slip. I actually was the one in the state of Alabama who offered the amendment to have exceptions for rape and incest. And of course, most of those bills also included some type of exception. If the mother's life was in danger In our particular state, um, That amendment did not pass, just like in Texas and some of the other states when it came to rape and incest. One of those good old boys came to my desk and said to me that I would have supported your amendment had it just been for rape, but what am I to say about Kissing Cousins? And so that is the ignorance of the people who serve in many of these legislative bodies across the country. In Ms. Cox's case. As the attorney has already so eloquently explained, the courts um, uh, have affirmed now what Ken Paxton has said is that the lower court judge did not have the expertise to make the decision that Ms. Cox's actual life was in danger. That is the very reason that we have so many um, uh, gynecologists, OBGYN, doctors that are leading these states that have these... Um, Trigger laws in them because they are now also not able to make the life affirming decisions that they need to make on behalf of their their patients, and that is what has happened here. This woman has been told that she will her life could be in danger, but in addition to that, the longer that it goes, she risks the opportunity to have more children. As we as we've just heard, she's already a mother. She's a wife. And these Republicans, because of their political agenda, are putting aside the actual people that are involved. So oftentimes when legislators are building these agendas or actually creating these pieces of, of legislation, many of these Republicans, in my opinion, don't think about the real people. What does this piece of legislation look like in practice, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Now we see exactly what happens in practice. We've seen in Ohio what happens when a 10 year old young woman, a young girl, actually is raped and she has to leave the state to have an abortion. I traveled to El Salvador. We want to talk about how this impacts real lives, especially when you criminalize abortion. Um, then, State Senator Nakima Williams. Now, Congresswoman Nakima Williams was on that trip with me as well. We went to a prison in El Salvador with women who had just been accused of having abortions. Heard those stories of women who actually were having miscarriages. One woman who was beaten by her partner had a miscarriage as a result of that beating was in jail, being accused of having an abortion. That is oh, where I this thought... country is going, y'all. Well, no, That's we're where here. we're going. Well, no, we're That's here. where, if Trump is re-elected, yes, and if we do not flip the house and we don't keep this, this in it,
2: this we're is here. the same direction that we're going. We're here. We're here. We're here, we're here yeah. y'all. We're yeah. here. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes.
1: We can change the world, change the world, change the world. Yes, we can change the world we can change the world change the world
0: we this the world. is the Santita Jackson show
1: pace of love it's too late gotta save the children we can't wait let's change the world I am breathing
2: you know this is a whole lot Kate Cox is really her health is at risk her life is at risk And um, she is a a married mother of two. She found out that her pregnancy was in trouble. In fact, they said, you know, you could lose your life. Your baby's going to lose their life. Uh, Our advice to you is to terminate the pregnancy because the longer you carry this baby, uh, the less likely you are to, uh, to to, to be able to carry another child to term. But, you know, you could also, the likelihood increases every day that you will die. And yet Texas officials and the Supreme Court have said, too bad, too bad, too sad. And so let's talk about this, everybody, because now uh, we're watching all of these um, uh, attorney Anastasia, we're we're watching everybody weigh in now. Right. Everybody's weighing in. And um, it's like no one's talking to Kate Cox. I mean, this is, this is the person who's at the heart of the matter. Your thoughts about this case? Attorney Sonat. Well, let me go to you, Daryl Jones. What are your thoughts?
9: Uh, good morning, Cynthia. Uh, this is just an abominable case. I cannot believe... What Ken Paxton and the state of Texas are doing in this case, you know, the Texas Heartbeat Act, which is the center of it, came out of Senate Bill Eight. Uh, it's horrible, you know, for for Kate Cox, who you know is the the, uh, the young lady that that's pregnant and all that she's going through right now. I I think that. Uh, you know, the state senator Coleman put it best, that, that this is just a horrible situation. Let me tell you, because it, it's not just, you know, from, from the Senate bill, it's not just the mother that's at, at, at issue uh, in the pregnancy. You know, when you go through Senate Bill 8, it, it's very clear as to why the doctor, the physician, uh, wanted the court to act. Uh, because you know the the bill itself is very vague with regards to its ex- exceptions and whether or not uh, the the doctor can perform it. But Ken Paxton went to the, the great extent of, in, in in this uh, case, Santita, not only. Did the, did the state come back and deny Kate Cox the opportunity to you know what would be a life saving necessary uh, potentially for her uh, and the potential to have children down the road, but he went through the extraordinary measure of contacting the three hospitals that Kate Cox might go to to have an abortion uh, performed and told them that if they tried to do this, if they permit the doctor to, to perform Uh, the abortion process on Kate Cox, that he was coming after them. He was coming after them criminally. He was coming after them civilly. I mean, he this is incredible. Now, when he said he was coming after these folks criminally, He's the attorney general. In the state of Texas, the attorney general does not have the authority to bring criminal actions. So this was done strictly uh, and, and solely uh, as an intimidation tactic to force Kate Cox and her physician into this position. But it doesn't even stop there. I mean, this is how offensive this is, the whole, uh, uh, the whole Texas Heartbeat Act, because it's not just um, uh, Kate Cox. It's not just the physician. It's also her husband. Who, who, could, who would be a, a person that may be transporting her for the, for the process? He, too, would be liable. If they were convicted in a court of law, what does the Heartbeat Act say? It says they face it up to life in prison. Life in prison. Because she's trying to save her life and potentially uh, you know, keep herself in a position where she can have other children. This is just an incredible, incredible case uh, in that regard. And it doesn't help that when you're talking about Ken Paxton, you're talking about someone who just survived that partisan impeachment and is still under uh, investigation for the federal security fraud that's still pending in the federal court. So you have all of this that's going on. But, you know, the the life of Kate Cox seems to be the least thing that they're thinking about. And I'm going to tell you, you know, within this bill, and, and since I get so worked up about it, within this act, within the Texas Heartbeat Act, once Judge, um, you know, what was the judge Judge Gamble, the, 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 uh, the Democrat who was the district court judge, once she issued and said that uh, Kate Cox could have the proceeding, had they gone forward and had the proceeding at that point, this act would still say that if a subsequent court overturned what the initial judge said and they decided that she could not have, should not have had that abortion, they're still liable under this act. They're still liable under this act. This is a horrible piece of legislation. It's a horrible thing that can, uh, tax Paxton is doing and forcing uh, this family uh, into this position. I, I, it, it's just, uh, you know, and that's before you get to the civil liability and money, because then the decision could be one that, that wrecks the family financially. What family value is that preserving? I, th- it's a horrible decision. It's a horrible piece of legislation. And I agree with uh, soon-to-be Congresswoman Coleman that we need federal legislation to really lay this groundwork uh, much clearer, Santina.
2: Well, Senator Coleman, tell me, what is what is the difference between how this would be handled in Alabama and and what they're doing in Texas? Because are, are your laws more restrictive?
8: Yeah, so actually what, what we hear is that ours actually is the most restrictive. But when I'm listening to uh, Daryl talk, it's, it's, it's the same thing here, too, as well, as far as the criminalization with someone who actually transports a person out-of-state to have um, an abortion as well. But I will tell you this. I was in Monroe County um, this past Thursday night. This is an area in rural Alabama and in Congressional District 2 where they just lost their labor delivery um, department in the hospital. Women now will have to travel um, over an hour. Um, And think about when there's an emergency situation. And so I was talking to um, uh, the, the, the last OBGYN doctor left in the county, um, and I asked her, did our Alabama abortion law have any impact on us not being able to recruit doctors now to rule Alabama in the state, period? Um, and, and she said, yes, 100%. She said, well, when it comes to me, I'm going to do whatever it takes to save the life of my, my patient, and then I'll have to deal with the consequences later on. And that was noble of her, right, brave of her, um, courageous of her. Um, but to give you her demographics, she's older, she has adult children. Actually, I met her daughter that night, and she's about to be a grandmother. Mm-hmm. In these other situations, you got daughter, you got, you got um, doctors who may be younger, um, may be the sole breadwinner in their family, who cannot risk that. They're not going to be able to risk that level of prosecution. And so, for in many of these, what my what my uh, one of my colleagues calls the Confederate states of the United States of America, he still calls it. Say it's in these states, in these Southern states, southeastern, southwestern states, um, where as soon as Roe was overturned, they went strictly to those trigger laws to do everything they could to ban ab- abortion, total ban. Um, but things are not pro-life people. They are not. Mm-mm. They are pro-first, not pro-life. They're pro-birth because these same people would not now, in this case, in Mrs. Cox's case, want to provide the financial, um, the financial um, backing or support necessary needed for the, the father now that would be left with those children if they need a food stamps if they needed uh, 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 any type of child insurance health protection, any of those social services that would help with that family, this is the same group of people that will be fighting against those, against these government giveaways, these government entitlements, for people that don't deserve it, you know, their argument. So they're not pro-life, they're pro-birth. and that Aren't is they that's really the pro Because tetra- <laughs> they,
2: they won't pay for the birth. <laughs> I mean, they don't, they they right. don't pay for the Medicaid if you believe you know, that.
5: You're exactly right. You know, they
2: were, I mean, they're not pro-anything. That's right. I mean, and, and you know, and I just, and I beg us all, Attorney Daryl Jones and, and Attorney Terry O'Neill to step back to slavery. Yeah, I'm going to go right there because this is what this is sounding like to me. Attorney Terry O'Neill. This is what this is sounding like. Black women have no agency. Yeah. You had to be up under this man and his wife, have his baby, put your children to work in his house. That's what they're doing. You got no uh, care. No. You got no anesthesia. You'd have the baby in the fields, or the, and they put you back out there the same day. No, no care. These people are not pro. They're not pro birth and now pro anything. They don't want to take. They don't want pre made. They don't want prenatal care. They don't want to take care of the pregnant mama. They don't want to take care of the child. They don't want to take care of the child once the child is born. They don't want to give them any milk. They don't want to send them to pre-care, uh, to, to daycare. They don't want uh, They don't want Head Start. They don't want anything. What is this about, Terry? I, Santita, I think that,
7: that's exactly right. The, 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 all of these forced-birth laws, as I call them, I don't call them anti-abortion laws. I mean, anti-abortion is forced-birth. Think about it. Right? Um, The purpose of all of these laws is to put women back in their place uh, to undo all of the uh, women's rights legislation and court decisions that have uh, occurred over the past 60 or 70 years. They're aimed at women, but let's be very clear, they sweep in transgender individuals, gender non-binary individuals. Anyone who has a uterus and can get pregnant is at risk. Uh, by made at risk by these forced birth laws. We know, for example, that in the states where you have the harshest forced birth legislation, you also have the worst um, uh, scenarios for for people accessing reproductive health care. So these are not they're they, they're styled as anti-abortion laws, but they actually block people from accessing a whole range of reproductive health care. So so you ask yourself. Why is it so important to these men, and it's almost all white men, why is it so important to these men to stop people from getting just health care, just basic reproductive health care? And the answer is it's their political agenda to establish a status for women that is not equal, um, that does not have constitutional standing. Why do they want to do that? you I think you're exactly right. The entire slave labor um, uh, system in, in the United States, it affected the Deep South most harshly, but it affected the entire United States, the purpose of that was to enrich uh, the planter class, right? And and time you're setting up second-class citizenship, like the forced birth laws do, aiming at women, um, or any kind of, you know, frankly, anti-labor legislation, you're trying to set up... Uh, a, a, a hierarchical society in which some people are, are deemed worthy of full human status and everybody else has to work for their benefit and not for anyone else's benefit. So, so this is, a, this is a, a political economic agenda, and uh, part of the agenda involves, you know, basically sending women back to where we were in the 18th century.
2: Well, I mean, what? Is it, but how? How is the corporatocracy advantaged? I mean, do we, is this more bodies? This child's not going to live. Well, only God knows. Let me just say this: what will happen with this child? So, when I get that argument too, that having been said, Kate Cox it's, could die every day that she carries this pregnancy. Her life is at greater and greater risk. I don't even think we understand how. I mean, how dangerous a proposition giving birth is. That's the closest a woman comes to death. You know, because, you know, it happens. I'm here. No, no, no. It ain't that simple. And I'm just trying to understand Ken Paxton's thinking, the Supreme Court's thinking. Who are you people? Santita, for
7: Ken Paxton, the individual woman who could die is immaterial. What he's aiming for is a world order in which people who look like him are on top always, unquestionably. And if that means that some people die, so be it.
2: I mean, do we have? Do we have any uh, Senator Coleman? Do we? Do you, on a state level, have any recourse, or are you in? Alabama and are the people of Texas and other states where this is happening? Do they not have any recourse? Yeah,
8: so well, I said yeah, but that is just me answering, um, getting ready to tear. of um, the, the the reality of it. Is our answer is the federal government? These legislative bodies in these these deep south um, states are so Republican. The body that I serve in is 140 members only 140 members, only 35 black folk, and 37 Democrats. They literally could have a session and we not even show up. Um, our world really now has turned into making the legislation not as bad as it could have been. So the federal government is going to have to intervene on these types of issues. And it was already stated there's so much intersectionality with Um, these folks that uh, want to prevent women from being able to make the choices that they need to make about their health care with their doctor and their families, LGBTQ plus issues, other communities of color. Um, And so there's going to have to be some intervention at the federal level, which is why it's so important. Um, There are all of these redistricting lawsuits, and, and, and the seat that I'm running in actually is as a result of one of these redistricting lawsuits that will end up being a pickup seat if we accomplish it, because it's not a majority black district. It is an opportunity district forty-eight 48.9% black voting age population. What Republicans are counting on nationally, even with these districts cases, is that black people in other communities of color and other um, allies don't show up to vote. And so how does this impact this issue? Um, we've got to have folks to go out in the masses in primaries, to elect real folks that share your value system. But then in November of next year, flipping the House and keeping the Senate, especially I'm actually appealing to your to your listening audience for more progressive areas. I'm appealing to you all. You're gonna have to save the South. Because of how these districts have been so gerrymandered to be so Republican that we're going to need federal intervention. But right now, our only recourse is through the courts. And then now, of course, the courts are so stacked. I'm going to be the partisan here now. Democrats did not even realize, in my opinion, how important the Supreme Court and these other federal courts, the appointment power there. Until Trump was in
2: office. No, but you know, I think that so they did realize. I don't care how you feel about they Joe
8: Biden. They just, you know, you you know continue, since you and I, I'm sorry.
2: They continue, I'm sorry. No, they continue, no, they continue to snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. These people know government just as well as the back of their backs I, of their hands. What, yeah, they, do, what yeah. they do is they continue to, the, these Republicans get out here and fight. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. They do not plan to fail. And they have long-term strategies. I don't know how, how long we have to do this. Look, in the mid-'80s at the no. height of the Reagan Revolution, uh, Reverend Jackson and the Rainbow were able to flip the U.S. Senate back to yeah. the Democratic side because they yeah. kept registering people to vote, and Reverend never stopped running. I don't see the Democrats doing anything like that. I don't see them mounting. Mal- I don't are, hear them on, on black-oriented radio. Look, you're so, I don't see them doing anything.
8: Yeah, you're on point. In 2008, when we won the White House, when President Obama was elected, um, and even prior to, prior to, I was at a BCA conference because they were trying to expand. That's the Business Council of Alabama. They were trying to expand their friends. Mike Hubbard, who was the Speaker of the House at the time, he actually ended up um, having to go to jail. But he said to me, he said, we're going to lose the White House. He said, we already know it. We've already conceded that we're going to lose the White House. Um, but you know what they did? I'm, I'm telling that's our conversation. They planned for the next two years. Yeah. They end up taking state houses across the country in 2010 after President Obama won, and we were so excited about having the first black president. They continued to plow, and they flipped these state houses. And when they flipped the state houses, they controlled redistricting and then made all of these state houses more Republicans.
2: You're right, they have a And
8: we were just happy to be here.
2: It's a New York Times bestseller called Rat Eft by David Daly, in which the night that Obama won, the top Republican strategist sat down and said, they can have the White House. We're going to take all Mm -hmm. of the states. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear it. And then, during the Obama years, you were not allowed to say anything. Yeah, I'm saying it. Mm -hmm. And it was wrong. And we lost more than a 1,000 seats in that eight-year period, Daryl. Now, say whatever you want. While we were sitting up here going to the White House, being fancy, having fun, these people were locking up government from coast to coast. Mm-hmm. Daryl, hello? Jerry no, Mandarin, you, yeah. the, I mean I mean, come on. At some point, stop the shine. Stop the style. Mm-hmm. Stop fronting. Yeah. Get to work. And people get angry with me when I say that. Oh, you're not you're not being blue enough. Oh, I'm blue in the face. I'm tired of y'all playing games. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. These people are planning and plotting all the time. Dr. King said, "While evil men plot, good men must plan." Yeah. So, so I mean, so so what's next? I mean, just I'm going to just ask each of you. Just in these in this. Well, you know what? You're running for Congress. You see it from the state level. You see it from and you're going to be seeing it from the federal level. What's next? What do we do? I mean, because you saw you saw these states falling like dominoes when you were a state representative. Now you're a state senator. And you're like, hey, basically, they can have a session without me. That's how that's how much they have tilted. That's right. They have have uh, complete. I mean, and it doesn't even reflect Alabama's population. It doesn't reflect the South. Most black people live in the South, and we have the numbers, but we don't have the representation. I've got thirty seconds for you. Yeah. So, so really quick,
8: and I've already said it. um, This is where we really have to go back and and mobilize. Um, And and you said it when when we look at Dr. King, when we look at Rev. Jesse Jackson, and others. They strategized and planned, They mobilized. So we've got to mobilize our community. Um, But it's part of our responsibility, too, to make the direct connection between their everyday living and politics itself. That's one of the things that we've forgotten. Young people are getting all of their media now from TikTok. So we're also going to have to change the plan. We're going to have to get the correct information out to young people. But we've got to mobilize these young folks, use their energy, bring them to the table, take their ideas as well, and all of us together are going to have to get to the polls. We've got to reactivate the absentee process. That is where we have been powerful in making sure that those folks who may not be able to go vote on Election Day have the right to vote. We've got to protect the absentee process, but we got to mobilize it. In certain states, you've got early voting. Get people out to vote early and fast, get those votes counted first. Y'all, we've got to do this work also to make sure that we're making the connection between their everyday lives. And the reason we need to keep Joe Biden in office and to flip this house, elect Marisa Coleman as a new uh, Democratic member of the U.S. House and keep this thing.
2: How about that? That's what I'm talking about. How can we get in touch with your campaign?
8: So very easy. It's marikaforcongress.com. You just got to spell my name correctly, M-E-R-I-K-A for congress.com. Got a wonderful website, but also Google me. I think the best indicator of what a person will do is what they've already done. Plenty of information out there over my 20-year service, but campaigns do cost money. We will not be able to continue to get the message out to the 717,000, 100,000 people in the district. Nearly three hundred thousand registered voters without resources. So please get to our campaigns, and we're going to continue to fight the good fight and help to flip the U.S. House of Representatives. MarikaForConda.com.